And turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 25 this morning. That's on page 759 of your church Bibles. It's also, again, printed in the insert of your service sheets. Uh, we're continuing our, our look at the life of, of Jesus from Matthew. Uh, and we're getting to, uh, next week we'll come to a section of extended teaching called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which actually is, a, in a lot of ways, a, a deeper look at the, the law of God, the moral law that we heard uh, earlier this morning. But before we get to that, we've got these uh, three scenes from the early ministry of Jesus. He, he's just gone through temptation. Uh, he spent 40 days and 40 nights off alone fasting. Uh, and then last week we saw uh, the devil come and, and tempt him. Uh, and now this week we see what happens after that. So, so picking up in verse 12, uh, this is God's word. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way to the, of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, for those, for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. Who's in charge around here? Have you ever asked that that question? Who's who's running things? Maybe you were uh, out for for a, a dinner, or maybe you went to a store and and you received uh, really poor service, and you and you wondered who who's running this place? Who's who's in charge? Who's responsible for organizing these things? This morning, Jesus actually challenges us to ask that question of our own hearts. Who's in charge of me? Who am I following? Who am I obedient or, or accountable to? And, and most of us think the answer to that's pretty obvious, don't we? I'm in charge of me. I'm free to do what I want in the old time, as the old uh, song goes. Well, as Jesus starts his, his public ministry, he actually challenges us to follow him, to become his disciples, which essentially means allowing him to be in charge of us. That's why I, I want to suggest to you that, that these three scenes before us this morning may well be some of the most uh, offensive verses in, in all of the life of Jesus. On the surface, they may appear benign, but when we, when we dig deeper into them, we begin to see who Jesus calls us to be. 
and what he calls us to do. To, to surrender our whole selves to him. And as free and independent people, what could be more offensive than that? You know, we, want, we, 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 we want to lead ourselves. Sometimes we might submit to uh, government authorities. Sometimes we might put our hope in certain politicians to lead us as, as long as we agree with them. But if we don't, then, then ultimately we're, we're trying to find ways around listening to them, aren't we? See, we decide who we want to obey. And Jesus pushes back against that attitude this morning. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, he shows us here uh, exactly what it means and what we're to do. And there's three callings that we see this morning from our passage. First of all, a call to repentance. Secondly, a call to follow. And third, we see a call to healing or, or, or to be healed. So first of all, we see a call to repentance, don't we? If you were uh, with us two weeks ago, then you'll uh, remember being introduced to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was, was Jesus' uh, cousin, and, and Matthew again briefly mentions him here as having been arrested. John had been sent to, to prepare the way for Jesus, for the, the coming of the Messiah, to, to announce him uh, to the people, and to, to, to warn them, really, to get ready, because the Messiah was coming. Now we're told that, that John's been arrested, and, and spoiler alert, uh, he's going to be killed while in prison. But it seems that John's arrest was a, a spark for Jesus, wasn't it? To begin his public ministry. We've seen him baptized, we've seen him tempted, and now for the, the first time we hear the message he came to proclaim in verse 17. He's, he says this, for repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, there's a lot of things we could unpack from, from that one short little sentence. But uh, for one thing, it should strike us that, that actually the message of Jesus is essentially the exact same message that John preached. Matthew recounts it almost word for word. Jesus didn't come with a, a new message. He actually came to, to fulfill and expand what's been said for forever, really. He came to make it possible for, for many more of us to repent and to be brought into a right relationship with God the Father. By the way, just as an aside, when Jesus uses this, this, this term, when he, he proclaims the kingdom of heaven is at hand, uh, this was actually a shorthand for uh, the kingdom of God. You see, the, the Jews revered the name of God, and so they avoid, avoided using it. Uh, so Jesus refers to God the Father here by, by pointing to the spiritual place from which God rules and reigns, heaven. And this would have been uh, obvious to the Jews. This is also why uh, Matthew uh, most often refers to Jesus as the Son of Man, or rather Jesus refers to himself as that in Matthew's Gospel, because he's respecting the Jewish culture that he came to. Now, that, again, that's just an aside to help us understand the terms Jesus is using here. The main thrust of the message is, is a call to repentance, which literally means a, a turning from our old way to doing things a, a whole new way. It's almost a, a, a 180 degree turn. We said a few weeks ago that repentance is more than just sorrow for, for our sins, for the bad things that we've done. It's, it's, more, it's more than an acknowledgement that we've done something wrong. It's not a, a, a Boris Johnson apology, is it? You know, I, I'd like to apologize. I recognize we did some things wrong and uh, Sorry if that, that made you feel bad. It's more than that, isn't it? It's a turning away 
from the way that we've lived, and, and it's living in a new way. As usual, Star Wars presents us with a picture of what we're talking about. If, you, if you've not seen Star Wars, sorry, uh, I'm going to ruin it for you, but it'll save you a whole lot of time. Um, but at the end of the, the third film, by which I'm referring to The Return of the Jedi, uh, Darth Vader, the embodiment of evil in the, the original trilogy, actually repents. Uh, the evil emperor is, is standing over Vader's son, Luke, and he's, he's tasering him with his lightning fingers when Vader comes around to the light and he picks up the evil emperor and he tosses him uh, into this pit to his destruction. And you see in that scenario that repentance would not be Vader standing there saying to, to Luke, I'm really sorry about this. I feel really bad. And I apologize if, if my, my standing here uh, uh, causes you to feel any sort of pain or, or, or discomfort. He doesn't say that, does he? In fact, repentance was, was actually to take action against the darkness, against the evil in his presence. And Matthew actually offers us an even better illustration of, what, uh, of that here by explaining the movements of Jesus. You could almost call this the, the geography of redemption. Look at verses 13 through 16. Uh, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Matthew here highlights the, the geography of redemption. He, t he takes an Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah chapter 9, and he explains how Jesus ultimately fulfills it. Capernaum was in, in uh, the north of Israel. Uh, it's in, in Isaiah's day, they would have been uh, the first people who were, were captured and carried off into captivity by the Assyrians. And Isaiah's prophecy is speaking of their, their restoration, which, which happened at the end of the exile. And the first people carried off were the, the first people who were, who were restored, the people of Capernaum. And Matthew takes these verses and, and uses them to, to point us to the work of Jesus. He actually shows us how, how Jesus is a, a better fulfillment of, of that prophecy than the, the restoration. Because he shows how these verses that were, were really about, uh, in Isaiah's day, political darkness actually point to the, the deeper spiritual darkness that, that undergirds the political darkness. And what we learn about Jesus is that, there's, that, that where there's, there's darkness, that's where Jesus wants to be. That where people are enslaved to evil, that's where, where Jesus is, is called to go. Because wherever Jesus is, that's where light is breaking in. That's where freedom is being established. And that's the, the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? That we have a Savior who, who comes in to meet the darkness of, of our world and the darkness of our own hearts. See, in Jesus' day, the, the people of God, the, the Jews in Israel, were, were once again under oppression and captivity. But about 60 years before Jesus was born, the, the Romans took over Israel. And it, they would stay under captivity throughout the life of Jesus. And what this meant was that uh, the nation of Israel 
was crawling with, with revolutionaries, with, with groups of people who, who wanted to, to overthrow their captors, and, and they were expecting a Messiah to come and, and to deliver them from, from, from the oppression of, of the Romans or, or whoever was holding them captive at that time. But what they got in Christ was something very different. See, the message of Jesus is a simple one. In calling the people of Capernaum to repentance, he's saying, you cannot have true freedom. You cannot have light through darkness. You can't set yourselves truly free through, through uh, doing the same thing over again, by, by, by following the same dark ways. You can't uh, set yourself free through, through politics, or through uprisings, or through killings. You can only be free by turning from your old ways, from the things that, that you hoped in, to the true Messiah. See, the calling of Jesus is to, to set aside the things we believed in so strongly for so long and to find our hope and righteousness in him. And this is still relevant for us today, isn't it? As I alluded to earlier, everyone was angry this week with, with Boris Johnson, weren't we? Still are, really, and, and, and rightfully so <laughs> in many ways. And that, that's not meant to be a, a political statement necessarily, but, but we, people were angry with him, aren't they? Because we trusted him to get us through a pandemic. And we listened to him, and we, we obeyed him, thinking that he would one day set us free from the coronavirus. But instead, he betrayed us by, by having parties when the rest of us were staying home because he told us to. See, we, we can't expect to have light by trusting in the same broken things of this world that we've always trusted in. We often, in this, in this country, and in, in most Western countries, we, we want to find a, a government solution, a political solution to our problems. But what we, we probably saw once again this week is that whether it's, it's Boris Johnson or any other politician, we'll always be disappointed, won't we? And if you're looking to, to anything else, to, to wealth, education, to influence, to, to be your help and your salvation, then you're going to be let down. Because what Jesus says is you can't have light when you look to, until you look to the one from outside of ourselves, the one sent from God to shine in our world. But to have him, we have to first turn to him and repent. And then we have to follow him. And that's what we hear in, in our second point. We hear a call to follow. So Jesus goes out walking by uh, the Sea of Galilee, and he sees two sets of fishermen, and he, he calls them to follow him. And these two episodes are, are central, really, to our understanding of, of what it means to trust in Jesus. First, we see that, that Jesus has to, to call to himself, doesn't he? And this was, in many ways, Jesus' first evangelistic action in his ministry. He goes out and he calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And the call was simple but effective, wasn't it? He says, uh, follow me. And he explains what, what they would do if they followed him. He says, I'll make you fishers of men. It's interesting that he explains things in that way, isn't it? That he uses a, a language uh, that, that they, could, they could easily understand. Uh, he didn't couch it in, in you know, some strange jargon. Rather, he explains their calling to them in a, in a way that they could wrap their minds around. Uh, I think actually this passage should, should cause us to, to think about what this call sounds like for us today. How do we, how do we call people? I, I'll take a stab at it. Perhaps it's 
follow Jesus and we'll see. And he will make you a, a banker of eternal security. Or follow Jesus and he'll make you an, an artist of eternal beauty. Or a, a, a cleaner of the hearts of men. A seller of things that can't be broken or stolen or lost. All right, that's, that's admittedly a pretty rubbish way of explaining it, isn't it? Uh, but you get the idea. The call itself is simple. It should be understandable. But the calling is hard. In many ways, the, the calling is incredibly, is incredibly simple. The grace of God is, is free, isn't it? But what it's calling us to, the implications of it are so hard. And that's, what, that's the second thing that we see, isn't it? That the calling isn't to a momentary belief, but to a complete reordering of our lives around Jesus. That's what these disciples immediately do. They, they leave behind their livelihoods. In the case of James and John, uh, they, they leave their dad sitting there on the boat, ready to go out fishing. They, they, they leave all these things behind. And they follow Jesus as their master. See, following Jesus is personally costly, isn't it? It was costly to these disciples, not only in, in that they left what they left behind, but, but from a worldly perspective, it cost them and what their futures held for them. Most of these men would be, would be killed for following Jesus. They would be uh, imprisoned. They would be beaten. They would be mocked. They would eventually die, often horrific deaths, because, because they followed him. And they proclaimed, his, they, they proclaimed his, his death and resurrection. And while they might not have known it at, at this moment, at the time of their calling, they still had the, the very real things in front of them that they were giving up. These very real assets, the, the possessions, the, the people, their families in front of them that, that they had to walk away from. Yet, when the call comes, they got up and they followed. Why was that? What drives these four men to get up and to, to leave everything for this man who, who issues them with this simple call? I think this is where we have to let the, the testimony of, of these four guys be our own eyes and ears. Matthew only gives us a very short account of the, the calling of these four disciples. There's, there's beauty in that simplicity of it. Because what it reveals is that, that when Jesus calls us, when he, he uh, touches our hearts, when he calls us, then, then nothing else really matters. When Jesus calls us, then the things of this world, as we, as we sometimes sing, grow strangely dim. And if you've never experienced that, then you should, should pray and ask God to show you Jesus. And you should, should speak to me after so that we can, we can look, at, look at God's word together more. And I hope you'll, you'll keep joining us on Sundays as we, we continue to look at uh, the person of Jesus and see how wonderful and, and beautiful he is. Because there were lots of people who were drawn to Jesus during his ministry. Not, not all of them would believe, but, but we want to be a church where you can come and, and get to know Jesus and to experience his grace. And we hope that you'll decide to follow him too. And we do that because we are his disciples. That's the third thing we see in this paragraph, how how discipleship is, is really central to Jesus' ministry. And it's central to how he is building and equipping his church. Jesus would use these men to, to shape his church. 
and to engage the world. We, we see this especially in, in the book of Acts, which we're going through on Wednesday evenings. Do join us for that. But what we see is, is Jesus revealing himself to these men, showing them how he, he not only fulfills all of God's promises in the Old Testament, but how he will one day rule over the whole world and to, to restore all things that are good. He had an intimate and personal relationship with these four men. He had also, uh, uh, through the Holy Spirit, established the church through them. This is why uh, Grace Church exists today. And we, why we look to the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, the Bible, to understand who God is calling us to be. Because that's the pattern that Jesus begins to establish here with these, with these four men. And I think it's important to say that, uh, that you know, I recognize that, that the church, broadly speaking, hasn't always had the best reputation. And that many who, who claim to be followers of Jesus have done tremendously horrible things, both historically and, and even in the present day. Some of you may have been hurt by a minister or by a church. And I want to say to you, if, if that's you this morning, it's, it, what, what I'd like to say to you is that, that that must be an incredibly painful thing to have gone through and to have experienced. I know it's, it's hard to separate the institution or individual that hurt you from, from the, the people that Jesus is calling in this passage. But I think what we, what we want Grace Church to be is a, a place where where, where you can heal, where you can experience the grace and mercy of Jesus in a very real way. And we want that because that's, that's actually the third thing we see in our passage this morning. That, that the gospel is, is actually a call to healing. It's amazing what happens next, isn't it? Uh, Jesus goes out preaching and, and teaching and, and wherever he goes... He heals the physically unwell. Look back at, at verse 23 to 25. Let's, let's look at those again. He, it says this, and he, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and, and beyond the Jordan. Last week when we, we looked at Jesus being tempted by the devil, we said that what, what Jesus did there was, was that as, as our king, he went out and he confronted the forces of evil in our world. And we, we said that that's, that's exactly what, what we should want a good king to do. Now today we see him beginning to, to actually undo the harm done by the darkness, by evil in this world. Here we see just how thorough Jesus is in his work, don't we? He not only confronts evil, but he is able to heal the brokenness brought into the world through sin. Isn't that what not just only a, a good king, but a proper savior should do? Isn't that what we ought to expect of the true savior? Not only someone who can overcome evil, but can undo it. He can turn that evil into good. The, the beauty of the gospel is that we, we see where, where, wherever Jesus proclaims the gospel of the kingdom, wherever Jesus is, he brings life and hope 
and healing with him. This is where we see the very heart of Jesus towards, towards people like us. Sinners like you and I. He refuses to leave us in our brokenness and sin. And he offers us the full healing that you would, you would expect from a loving and gracious God. Probably our greatest problem is that we often fail to recognize our need of, to be healed. I, um, I injured my, my knee a, a couple weeks ago. And, and rather than calling the doctor right away, I thought I'd, I'd rest it first and, and see if it, if it got better. And it, to be fair, that's what the NHS website said, along with Google and, and other nutters online. Um, and it got a little bit better, but not completely. And so this, this past Monday, I was at my, my workspace, and on Mondays, we, we get together and we share our goals for the week. We, we give one professional goal and one personal goal. And my, my personal goal was to decide if I needed to get my knee looked at. And the response of the, the person who, who writes down our goals was to say, I'm going to write down for you to accept that you need to get your knee looked at. Now, I did get it looked at, by the way. Um, but I hope you see the, the point. We tend to be people who, who don't want to think we're as, as bad off as we are. We want to think that, that if given enough time, then we're going to get better but did you notice who was coming to Jesus? It was the ones who, who accepted that their diseases were more than they could heal themselves. It was the people who, who, didn't, who, who recognized that, 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 that the depth of, of, of the disease and brokenness that they were struggling with. And that's the calling of the gospel. To recognize the mess that we're in through our sin and hard-heartedness. It's not just physical ailments, it's, it's our deep-rooted heart condition that Jesus came to heal. It's our constantly looking to the things of this world to heal us. The calling of the gospel is to come to Jesus and to receive his healing, to repent and turn from our sins because the kingdom of God is at hand. And that's the offensive bit I was referring to earlier, isn't it? That you're not able to make yourself well but there's one outside of ourselves, sent by God, who is able and who is willing. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That while we were God's enemies, while we were sinful, he sent his son to die for us, that we might draw near to him and follow him and build our lives around him. In this we see the heart of God towards us as creatures. He meets our darkness with light. He meets our loneliness with a, a call into his community. And he meets our sickness with his help. Let's pray.